I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking, and wheeling in the UK and beyond. I'm Ned Bolting. I'm Laura Laker. I'm Adam Tranter. <laughs> and we are here to decarbonise transport. So in the UK, surface transport is the single largest contributor of greenhouse gases, and it produces 23% of our emissions. We've made basically no significant inroads in cutting that contribution in a decade. But if the last year's taught us anything, aside from how to use Zoom, rapid change is possible when we put our minds to it. So... We're talking about transport decarbonisation plans. Yeah. Is it the plan we need or the one we deserve? Oh, this is this. It uh, strikes me as quite a big question that you've raised today, Laura. I'm quite intimidated by the scale of this problem. Well, I think I, th- I think I think that's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> I think we're all we're all like, oh, yeah. what do we do? Yeah. No, you know, one person can change anything, but you know, no. One well, raindrop to, falls, they cause the waterfall. Haven't you got to, before you even start to think about how you shift people in a, in a carbon neutral way, haven't you got to start with the biggest question of all, which is why shift people? Like, so what are the journeys that we make and why do we make them? And, and, and how many can be replaced with not moving? Mm. And is that, even, is that even something that we want to achieve as a, as a, as a, as a society? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it is because... I, I think that movement and you know movement and the freedom of movement, if you like, and being able to is is part of human progress. Transport has always been seen as part of human progress. Now there is a line that we've probably crossed now, where we're effectively driving to the fridge to try and get you know to go and get some milk or or, or whatever. But largely, I think people having access to obviously employment, being having access to go and see friends and families, it all important things but do we need to do them you know slightly less or when we do do them often very short journeys um journeys for leisure for example you know how do we go about doing those so 
the worrying thing I think about all of this, all of this plan and and the narrative that's been since and before it is the fact that the, the transport secretary Grand Sharp says that we can still do the same things in slightly different ways and and still cut carbon. You know, it's not about stopping people doing things. It's about doing the same things differently, is a quote. We will still fly on holiday, but in more efficient aircraft using sustainable fuel. We will still drive, but increasingly in zero emission cars. And the problem with that is that the experts don't agree. You know, the the, the committee on climate change think that even if all cars are electric, we need to reduce mileage, you know, up around something like 14 to 20%, depending on who you ask. And the circumstances so and i don't think anyone in aviation really believes other than people who want to keep flying more that we're going to have you know electric planes that can do long distances at any time ever possibly uh, or anytime soon so i think the um the, the technology will bail us out is the the biggest problem here because if we procrastinate and we start thinking and talking about which bit of the technology is going to save us by the time we realise that it won't, it will be uh, it will be too late, and that's what keeps me up at night, really. Yeah, it is a worry, but we have changed quite a lot in the last year. I mean, we stopped travelling, obviously, and although none of that was really um, up to us long term, some of those changes have stuck around. So there will be less travelling, but yeah, it's that sort of we don't need to change. Just sounds like someone who doesn't want to upset the likes of the Daily Mail. <laughs> and get bad press it sounds like someone who's maybe not that committed because it's interesting this uh, the ambition is uh, in the decarbonization plan an ambition for half of all trips in towns and cities to be walked and cycled by 2030 but that's nine years away we've got like cities like manchester i was looking this up i think it's got a mode share of five percent it had 2.2 when chris boardman was was made cycling and walking commissioner. Now he's transport commissioner. That doubled during the pandemic. And they're aiming for 10% of trips by bike. I'm not sure when, but carbon neutrality by 2038. And they've got this massive program of cycle routes. They've bought buses under the city control. They're bringing them under control of the city to bring down prices and make it more of a network. But we don't have that nationally which is a big problem. We're supposed to have like all cars EV by 2040. Last July to September, 8.5% of cars were EV. We're supposed to cut transport emissions by 90% by 2050. We've cut them by 1% since 2009. It's like, it's not going to happen. Like what what we're doing at the moment, we're like, we're not even really trying unless something drastic happens, unless an enormous amount of money is made, like who's going to have a world-class network of cycling routes by 2040? Look at like the quagmire of Kensington and Chelsea and West Sussex, which is basically like the same problem, the Shoreham Road route. They put something in. It's even like something's there and you take it away. And it's it's like, how, yeah, how is that? How are we ever going to kind of get this network? We'll have like Apache network maybe by then. But yeah, this is not the kind of narrative that we need because, uh, yeah, we're just going to miss it by by a huge amount. Half of the 27 billion road fund is going to be for like repair, greening, biodiversity, apparently walking and cycling. But that means more than half still for new roads. Yeah, it's not this is not the this is not the actions of a government that's that's actually going to do what it says it's going to do. This is um, 
Well, this is depressing, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, I was just, just looking it up earlier because I was. I mean, this is what I. You know, this is what I. This is what people are saying. It's like it's not enough, and then but then when you look at it, it's like, oh yeah, it really isn't enough. <laughs> How are we ever going to do this? I don't know. Different. Yeah, something needs to change. I think we can learn from the last twenty odd years about how not to do it and the worrying thing is is that we're 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 doing we're walking into the exact same like playbook uh, and it hasn't worked you know as as Laura says you know greenhouse gas emissions relating to surface transport have and are the same now pretty much as they as they were 20 30 years ago they've gone up and they go down a little bit but they you know there's been no change uh, and if there has been change it's like one yeah. percent well, there's like changes in one area and then like cars get more efficient, but then we start buying bigger cars. It's, we're just yeah. like kind of a bit, it's all a bit perverse. So, so I think, <laughs> I think um, we have to, I think we have to look at what's happened. And, and I found out something quite, cause I'm new to all of this stuff. I've been, I've been researching what's gone before us and, and you know, the, the, the roads building, the, the sort of fight against road building is not, is not new it seems new to me because i'm as i say i'm new to this but you know the the kind of days of the newbury bypass and 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 the kind of protests around that so i've been reading up on the act that was passed in 1998 the uh, road traffic reduction act and this seemed like it would be a game changer uh in terms of actually getting the the government to uh, well, we're in the same issue now, right? We're, it's a different government. It's a conservative government. It was, it was Labour back then. But the issue was the, the same, you know, saying to people you need to drive less is politically unpopular and, and no one wants to touch it. So to be able to get an act of parliament passed that said the government will have to come every year and the Secretary of State will say, here are our targets for road traffic reduction. We are going to reduce car use because of the climate and eco, you know environmental effects uh it seems like a, a a big step forward but there was a there was a clause in it that allowed the government to not give a target if they could give a reason you know effectively why a target was not required so a target was never set and every year basically the the, the conversation was we don't need to reduce car usage because technology will save us effectively. Things will get greener. We will build more roads so that they will be less congested. So everything will be fine. And you fast forward from 1998 to 2021 and spoiler, it's not fine. And we've not moved the needle whatsoever. So to have a situation now where we're, we're we're saying guess what we can keep exactly doing what exactly what we're doing but technology will save us and we will build bigger roads so there will be less congestion sounds like not a great use of of the last 23 years of learnings to do it again it's really worrying because if we take another 2020 another 23 years and we get to you know, the, these future dates that have been set that seem like a long way away, but will all of a sudden creep up on us. It will be literally too late. It will be too late to, you know, change the uh, irreversible effects of climate change or to even mitigate them so that humans can sort of survive. Uh, you know, people have been dying from... It's not like we can't no, do we it. We can totally... We can, 
totally do it, but we've got to be honest, I think, with the British people to start with. And there's got to be a, a grown-up conversation about what can and can't happen. And, and Laura, as you, we've talked about, this is possible because it's uncomfortable. And don't be wrong, you know, it's hard to deal with crises, but it's a climate emergency, we're told, and we need to deal with it in an emergent, in emergency manner. And, and we have done with COVID, you know, we've had national lockdowns we've had huge restrictions on people's freedom and that was actually the only indication that that we could do something you know the air pollution drops the the emissions dropped and that's the kind of stuff that we 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 may need to do if it comes to it if we don't if, you know what 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 what's happening now is going to feel like you know the, the stuff we need to do now to reduce our uh, carbon emissions is going to feel like a walk in the park compared to what it will be later on the line if we uh, if we leave it too late <laughs> what are we going to do i Ned? don't know i'd like to hear you i don't know this has just been i've been very silent for 13 minutes because i don't know uh, uh what you say it's possible laura how's it possible well i mean we are very capable of changing things drastically if we want to i mean i think this this period has been compared with the period prior to the NHS being formed. So there was a blueprint uh, for a green transition, which was put together by some cross-party MPs, citizen juries, uh, union leaders, and the Institute for Public Policy Research, which kind of blends this levelling up agenda with the low-carbon agenda. And that is actually quite positive because they wanted to look at these two issues together because historically transitions to zero carbon or attempts to change things like the French fuel duty rises led to the gilet jaune because it wasn't felt fairly across society. Those on lower incomes were disproportionately affected. And so the theory is if the transition to zero isn't fair, that people won't support it. So one of the proposals is that there's a people's dividend, they call it, from carbon taxes, which means that areas and industries that are most likely to be affected by um, transition to zero would receive the most help so it would be about like training people in high carbon industries to like retrain in low carbon industries. It would be like free local public transport throughout the UK by 2030 was one of their things, free bus travel by 2025. And yeah, I think that that maybe is like one major positive thing that's or a positive idea that's come out. But that's very much a kind of that's a very much a different agenda to the agenda that the government the current government's pursuing. But I think it's. I don't know. I think that's a reason for for hope, and um, yeah, and and it seems like a very kind of sensible way because yeah, these industries that we're supposed to be phasing out, if we keep pouring money into them and um, subsidising them, I mean, Man- Andy Burnham, um, Mayor of Manchester, was saying that they've been subsidising the bus services up there to the tune of hundreds of millions of pounds, and the, it's like a four pounds for a single bus journey. Uh, whereas it's like 150 here and it's like yeah this kind of public subsidization of of private companies isn't really giving us the benefits that we need and I I don't know the, some of the rails been nationalized here so yeah across the country so I don't know I think maybe there's a bit of a case it's got to be fair as you say Laura I think that's a really important point and and most people inherently want to do the want to do the right thing but they're not you know they're not being led as to what the right thing is and and we've got to incentivize people so there was a there was a study done that basically asked people 
in different countries what what they thought had the most Im- impact on their own contribution to to, to climate change and uh, majority of people in majority of countries thought curbside recycling was the biggest thing that they could could do and they are wrong unfortunately you know it it, it, it is a minuscule impact and as we know most of the curbside recycling gets shipped to turkey uh here and it's not it's not having the impact it wants so we need to you know we need to we need to have an, an education because i think people overwhelmingly want to do the right the right thing but we also need to as laura says you need to give them something in return and we need to make sure that it feels just and uh, i don't have the answer because it's incredibly complex but you know look what happened with the french government when they tried to increase fuel duty fuel duty needs to increase at some point like it needed to increase 10 years ago uh, and it needs to, to continue to increase because driving has become in real terms cheaper where everything else has gone up in rail fare bus fares it's just not right it can't be right but they tried to put fuel duty up and they got the gilets jaunes which basically made them over time reverse that policy and lots of other policies um, and we've had we've had similar stuff you know here in history in recent history as well so you've got to you've got to have the boldness to know that some of that stuff will will happen but you know there's a whole conversation about road pricing now isn't there about whether that could be an option but actually no we don't know if it's an equitable option we don't know if it if just rich people being able to afford to drive everywhere is actually helping because we know that it's the wealthiest people that cause the most carbon emissions and we also the, the thing that I think we're getting drastically wrong is 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 that electric vehicles, electric cars are subsidised middle class playthings, really, as it stands at the moment. They are, uh, I know I bought one, uh, my wife got one the other, the other day to swap out our petrol car and, you know, it's £26,000 and I'm paying a couple hundred pounds a month to do it. You know, it's out of reach of the majority of people. And yet that is seen as our as our solution to decarbonisation. And I had to sort of wait around outside a little earlier to charge it. And there was only two charging bays and it, it was in use. So I went into Lidl. I didn't want to go to Lidl. I ended up buying Nutella and all sorts. Nutella's got palm oil oh, that's in where you got your well. influence uh, like, Anyway, sorry. Getting off topic. <laughs> well, I, do, I come back to my original question about do we need to travel? And I'm not entirely sure that I was completely happy with your answer, Adam. Although I, I do accept entirely what you said about human progress and human society and human fulfillment and desire and, you know, that, that inbuilt urge to go forth and to experience the world is part of our lives, isn't it? And I, I, I you know, I'm being very hypocritical here because <clears throat> I've traveled a lot in the course of my work up until COVID and I feel in incredibly denied having missed out on what I considered to be my right but you know we do still have going back to the practical concerns of choked up roads and massive congestion and lots of emissions being belched into the sky there is still a phenomenon in our towns and cities and now I'm not just talking about London I'm talking about Coventry I'm talking about everywhere Grantham Lincoln Bedford you know, you name it. They're all tall Britain places, aren't they? That's the only places you know now yeah, outside yeah, yeah. London. <laughs> but every, uh, you know, Monday to Friday is when you get rush hour, right? School holidays and weekends, you don't get rush hour. The numbers of people jumping in cars on a working day 
Monday to Friday. That's it. If you can crack that nut about people commuting in their cars from their home to their place of work, you can make a big dent in the numbers of vehicles on the road at any given time. So I come back to that question of, you know, do we need to be in an office? Yeah, I, 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 yeah. So, sorry, I, I appreciate what you're saying there, Ned. But I also just want to clarify that I'm not saying we should keep the status quo to be absolutely clear. People should still be able to travel, but we need to change the way we travel. You know, the majority, you know, in London, there's 50% of, of car journeys, uh, three kilometers and, and under. Uh, in the whole of England, it's uh, nearly 60% of car journeys are under five miles. Those journeys, we should still be able to go and see our friends. In the, We should be able to go to the pub. We should be able to go and get employment. We should, you know, go and meet new people. But we should be, we should not be doing it, you know, in, in the private motor vehicle. That's the, that's the, that's the key. And we should, what we need to get rid of is the hateful journeys that make people spiteful and angry. And, um, you know, <laughs> the, the, well, I mean, I think most people, yeah. most people hate their journey that they do every, uh, you know, Monday to Friday. You know, there's that famous cartoon, isn't there, about with the man getting furious to the, anyway, you, I'm sure you know the one, um, that dates right back to the 1950s about how it changes his character getting behind the wheel of a car. And it's those, I mean, there's a lot of human misery wrapped up in, in this. And, and a lot of that is simply shifting your True. carcass from your home to your place of work in the morning. So it's those, I completely accept. I, you know, my mum and dad up until very recently lived in Scotland. I Sometimes the only way of getting there is, is, is to drive. But I travel with joy in my heart because I'm going to go and see my parents. That makes sense. That's a kind of act of personal freedom that I would n no way want to deny everyone. But what about the stuff that people resent, you know, in their lives? So that's that must be the starting point. Well, there is, there is talk about 15-minute neighbourhoods. And I think one of the things is that one of the ideas is that we won't have to go into these kind of centralized offices anymore, that we'll have kind of co-working spaces and that we'll be able to go and it will be a bit like working from home, but you'll be working with people not necessarily from your company, but yeah, so you don't have to have those horrible journeys because even, you know, getting on a train also pretty grim if you're in one of the busy commuter routes, like shoved into like a sardine can. Yeah. And I think having more kind of localized services would be a big help as well and would cut out a lot of that kind of going into the city centre, which then which then raises questions about like what all those buildings in the city centres, like London, all of these new skyscrapers that have gone up, what, what they're going to be for. But yeah, I think there's, I don't know, people like me who work flexibly anyway, that's kind of how I would like to see it. But I'm sure there's plenty of people. I know someone who works for a very small business, they actually gave up their office. So now they're permanently working from home, which is not an ideal situation. But um, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of people who could work from these kind of little neighborhood hubs be good for local shops local high streets we talk about high street regeneration it's another brilliant thing about that kind of idea don't need to have those kind of hollowed out commuter towns anymore even if it was two days in five or three days in five think think yeah. what an impact that would have it would be yeah we need to be careful though not to not to just look at this through um through a, a kind of middle class lens we all have jobs that we can do from that that point of view and and the majority of people you know if given the choice they wouldn't travel to work at five in the morning to work on the trains or to you know um to, to work in an office building or or, or or whatever they need to do and yet of course some of those jobs can be done elsewhere and we've learned a great deal about that but you know I'm, I'm comfortable I'm here in my spare room converted into an office um and that's great but I've got staff that are live in you know a three three bed flat with five other people 
and and yeah you're you know, right. sit on the coffee table isn't isn't uh you know isn't isn't an option in that in that respect so we do need to be a little bit careful because people will always need to no no to, you're, right, to you're right adam and i to- totally accept that and there are jobs you, you, clearly there are many many millions of jobs you can't do from home that's that's kind of a, a, an accepted point i kind of like but the learning I was thinking from about that, those jobs the learning, i was thinking about the millions of jobs you can do from home and i think you're absolutely right to talk about the home environment not being um not being a place that everybody can rely on um and that's incredibly presumptuous but then that's where laura's laura's notion about the local hubs comes into play and that's really i think that's really enlightened thinking and could, yeah. as you say regenerate the local high street rather than rather than another thing that should be penalized and scrapped and just not happen any longer is the out-of-town retail park isn't it yeah you know that's another incentive to create a traffic jam and it's another reason why um town centers are, uh, are crumbling yeah we need to link in decarbonisation across all of those things as well. So what you've just said, Ned, is is basically planning, isn't it? You know, it, it's it's not transport. It's it involves transport, but it is a different in the council. It'd be a different department in the government. It's a different department, and we need to absolutely m- yeah. to make sure those things are um, you know are are connected. And those fifteen minute neighbourhoods, I think, should be the and the government are talking about them in in the right way, but. You know, we're building houses now that we know will cost more to retrofit later because, like, no one's willing to stump up the the, the cost to, to to do it now. These are the kind of, you know, conversations we need to... When, when I went to Gelderland province in the Netherlands, I went and spoke to their city planners, and they actually, basically, they're paraphrasing and, and, you know, doing it for effect, but... Their politicians in in that province basically passed a law relating to the climate that they can no longer do stupid stuff, uh, even if they've already paid for it. Uh, and basically, that means that you know if they've decided to build extend roads and things like that, then you know it's the wrong thing to do. If they've got a multi-story car park on the drawing board because they want to do it, can't get passed. Um, and we need to have those big bold conversations um, because we're gonna we're gonna waste you know some pretty precious time. I think, and, and we can waste some pretty precious time with those red herrings as well. And that's what worries me about electric cars. You know, we have this a lot in in Coventry because we we have a huge motor industry in this part of the part of the country. And I'm finding myself as an active travel advocate having to have a lot of discipline because we have one car as a family. It's my my wife's car. We do sometimes do some long journeys. She has traveled an hour and a half uh, once a week and a few other things. It's not a train service. So now I've got a car on the drive and, and I know it costs barely anything once I've paid for it to, to travel. You know, I, I charge it up for an eighth of the price of a tank of petrol and use it for short journeys and pretend that I'd be guilt-free when I, you know, I shouldn't be, but that's how you feel when you hear how quiet it is. And I have to stop myself. I have to say, Adam, it's a short journey ride your bike walk you know follow what you've learned and and i'm a i mean advocate for this stuff and if we all have electric cars we're going to be driving even more miles because it's just too damn tempting and they're too damn comfortable i was having quite an interesting chat with someone earlier actually um in coventry actually they've got this this thing where you give up your gas guzzler your old diesel and they'll give you kind of points or they give you three thousand pounds in mobility credits yeah i think it's three thousand pounds for bus travel and um and yeah and it's like helping people to change their behavior get rid of their old cars and yeah and also 
car sharing can be quite powerful or like getting businesses to sign up to car clubs instead of having their own car parking and and stop giving their employees pence per Mm. mile because that's basically incentive to Mm. drive there are quite a few kind of behavioral nudges so i was talking about this for another i think mobility credits are great we Mm. they need you know it's only a pilot in coventry but I think that's going to be a big part of our future. And just so you know, that three thousand pounds can also be spent on yeah, it can be spent on buses, it can be spent on trains, it can be spent on car sharing, it can even be spent on taxes as well and bike share. And and that opens up a whole load of possibilities for uh, for for people that have those old gas guzzling vehicles. Yeah, and apparently for every one um, car share car you get rid of like you can get rid of like 12 cars yes yeah exactly people people getting rid of the car is the hard thing right get rid of that car (laughs) don't just swap it for an electric one then yeah and then and then people's behaviors change because it's it's kind of a sunk cost isn't it a car once you've got it you think well i may as well make the use of it and like i'll just drive a quick trip down to the shops but yeah that's not what we need to be doing yeah absolutely absolutely well this uh we've gone from deeply depressing world ending <laughs> literally world ending stuff to glimmer of hope through the people's dividend um and uh, all of those things because because that's you know that, that I think that's happened you, before you made, it, <laughs> you made you know in, in order to in order to feel optimistic about this i think you made a really good point a short while ago adam when he said actually it's not a transport issue is it mm. or it's not uniquely a transport issue it's across every single department of government and every area of our lives this is the biggest, you know, this is the biggest challenge, you know, as you say, it almost makes COVID look, look insignificant. So this is huge. And and it needs to, we need to stop considering it. It's a, it's a health issue. It's a, it's an economic issue. It's, um, you know, and I think, I think those points you made about planning and um, redesigning, redesigning our environments is absolutely, I think, you know, I think front and center of what we need to be doing. So yeah, I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic than I was 20 minutes ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the thing that the thing just to wrap up is is that keeps me going, but also worries me at the simultaneously is humans are we we have boiling frog syndrome, right? So like stuff happens slowly, and we're like, this is fine, this is fine, this is fine, and then someone ramps it up, and we're like, okay, we need to do something about climate change, and that's happening right now you know it feels like half the world is on fire and the other half of the world is flooded and that's scaring people and people you know haven't seen these once in a lifetime events are now happening you know once a month uh, and it will soon be once a week and when it really gets to us you know i think wrongly but like if you say to someone the temperatures are going to be so high that food production you know in africa is going to be really struggling and there will be famines that is 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 awful but from people who work in that sector know it's quite hard to get people who don't have that on their doorstep doorstep to relate to it because you know for all different psychological reasons however bad that that is but when it starts happening here and we start to really you know i don't know i can't cope with it being any hotter it's been pretty hot recently right if it gets any hotter uh, I'm not going to be able to, you know, like joking aside, I, I will, I will be able to cope. But it's going to start to get really damn uncomfortable, and and our freedoms and stuff are going to have to start getting restricted. And I think at that point, we've seen during COVID that people can change drastically. And I just wonder what it will take to get them to change at the speed and urgency that that the scientists know that we we need to. Here, here, Adam. 
<laughs> well, we've got COP26 coming up, haven't we, soon? So who knows? Yes. We'll probably have the, I don't know, the red arrows going over the top or something. To... <laughs> <laughs> the, elect- the electric red arrows. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, that's that's. is that it? Laura, do you want to give us a sign off? Because you introduced yeah. the show at the top so yeah, brilliantly. I want, to, I want to see if that. you could just uh, give us a very professional <laughs> answer. <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to be like you, Ned. I want to, I want to commentate on the Tour de France next. So <laughs> watch out. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, you've been listening to Streets Ahead. Let us know what you think at Pod Streets Ahead. Rate us and review us and share the podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. And we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.